Good day. This is the 24th edition of Free City Radio. It is Tuesday, January 12th here in Montreal, 2021. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Stefan Christophe. Uh, on the show today, we're featuring a few uh, interviews and also some music. Um, I wanted to start the broadcast today with a conversation I had with uh, two friends of mine who uh, have been involved in uh, editing a book that's called Pandemic Solidarity. Um, I spoke with Marina Citron and Nancy Pinheiro in Argentina. Marina's in New York City. Um, they are part of a collective effort uh, that um, put together this book called Pandemic Solidarity. It's out through Pluto Books in the UK. Um, I thought the book was really striking. I read through it in detail um, because it really showed a breadth of uh, organizing that has happened around the world, uh, community-based organizing in response to the crisis. And I really think that the book totally turns over narratives of state power as being the instrumental uh, responder to the crisis um, through examples uh, in Turkey, in Taiwan, um, throughout the Americas. Uh, we hear voices from Brazil, uh, Argentina, um, many other places globally. Uh, this book really illustrates the power of social movements, but also the ways that actually in a time of crisis, um, that community-based solidarity organizing, uh, whether it's around access to food, whether it's around um, healthcare, is a very essential element to responding to crisis. And I think it really uh, illustrates an empowering narrative about the pandemic, and one that I think is often uh, not really a point of focus in mainstream discourse. The interview gets into all of this, so I'll, I'll just go right to the conversation. Um, it was recorded last weekend. Here we go. I'm a translator activist based in Argentina. And uh, I've known Marina for a long time, but uh, it's, this is sort of the first time we've had the opportunity to collaborate in this project. Um, and so my militancy is mostly related to communication, right? Um, and to these networks between North and South. And I can't, I mean, I have to uh, mention the personal level because when this happened, I was stuck in New York uh, because of the pandemic that Argentina completely closed its borders. And so these networks and people that I never met in person like Marina, um, they also showed up, we connected, uh, I connected to people there. Um, and at one point, yeah, I received this invitation to, to participate. And I, I felt, I remember the beginning of the quarantine and knowing what was going on in my country, I felt the need to do something. Um, and, and I think it's personal, but it's also related to our topic because of participation, right? It's, it's a learning process and then it becomes an exercise and then it becomes like a need uh, because we haven't, I think it's important to remember we have been brought up, you know, unless you're very lucky and you come from a family of activists, which is not my case, we've been brought up in 
a strong individualism. So this is not second nature to us. And I felt that need to do something and um, like almost physically like to take to the streets, you know, and it wasn't possible, um, which is something we do a lot in Argentina, right? Like the first thing we think about, it's like, oh, like the state is using this as an excuse to repress people in poor neighborhoods. Let's march. Well, no, maybe it's not a good idea right now. So this invitation was like um, an opportunity and also for internationalism, which I think it's a huge thing. Right on. Wow. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, love, love hearing those reflections. Um, Marina, um, you have really made an effort through this project to, you know, connect activists in different parts of the world. Um, and I also really loved in the book how there is some transparency in terms of the process of, of like how it came together and the discussions that you had and sort of the collective nature of how um, this book was about lifting up the voices that we hear about, but also the process of bringing it together. So if you could talk about some of that in regards to pandemic solidarity, um, that'd be really great. And anything else you'd like to mention? Thank you. Sure, um, great. Yeah, I mean, I think I would see myself as more just kind of initiating the process of the book, which came out of conversations. Um, and really it was more the chance of, I happen to have worked on books before. So it seemed like this would be a good way to communicate to other people. Um, and as Nancy was just saying, kind of going to the street and organizing for different reasons in different places wasn't possible or wasn't possible for some of us from where we were. Um, so it came out of a conversation and it happened to be a conversation with a number of people from different parts of the world. I mean, it was ended up being, it was in a class, it was a graduate seminar. Um, and it was Shema actually from Turkey who kind of started the conversation as soon as the pandemic hit talking about what the government of Turkey was saying, for example, versus what was actually happening. And that brought up the discussion with a number of us, a person, um, Debarati from India, Emre, who's Kurdish, um, talking about what was happening in Rojava, and all of us finding that, you know, immediately the stories that we were told about ourselves were so different than what was actually happening or what we believed would be happening. So like what Nancy was just saying about how we're taught, you know, this idea of strong, this individualism, and being separate from one another, that was immediately, at least in the US, and I think in a lot of parts of the world, the narrative that hit was, okay, here's this crisis. So what do people do? They hoard toilet paper, they take from each other, they don't help each other. And we all knew that that was wrong. Um, and it was one of these like, trusting your intuition and your, whether you've been active in movements politically in the past or groups or you have relationships with people around you and you know that that narrative is wrong. That is not who we are. We're being told something about ourselves and it's not who we are. And so pretty quickly, we, I kind of thought, well, why don't we try to put these stories together from around the world? And it wasn't that I sat down and made some kind of list or even that a few of us sat down and made a list of you know, what parts of the world. It was our kind of friendship and political connections that spiraled in this beautiful way outward. So talking to Nancy who then invited Liz and so, or um, 
let's see how kind of the order of all of it. I think it was, I knew Vanessa who's in Brazil from doing Occupy Wall Street work in New York. She'd been in New York at the time and then moved back to Brazil. And she was close with Laís who's from Brazil but is located in Portugal doing work around migration who invited Raquel who's been doing work with migrants in Portugal, who then invited Boa Ventura from Southern Africa because of their political and friendship connections and networks. Debarati from India invited Media, who's Kurdish in Northern Iraq. So these like, these networks of friendship and political relationships that kind of overlap um, is what became the base of the book. And it wasn't that we then immediately said like Nancy and I, okay, we're sure there's all this stuff happening in Argentina, you know, and we know all of these places where it's happening. It was more, we trust and we know that this narrative we're being told about ourselves is wrong. Mm. We know people come together and help each other in times of crisis. So what are people doing now? And we were all right. In every place that happens to be in the book, there are amazing different kinds of networks of care and organizing, some pre-established, some like groups that had been organized before and political and some not at all. Some mm. people kind of coming together. So kind of what's political and where the political and care meet each other, I think is an interesting conversation. Um, but that's kind of the genealogy. It was mm -hmm. friendship care networks amongst ourselves kind of spiraling outward and all over the world, South Korea, Taiwan, all over. Well, and I, I loved, you know, you mentioned just, just to take off on, you know, a point that you just mentioned, uh, that piece about Taiwan and uh, the, the points it raises around uh, both the work of, of the, in the healthcare sector and also journalists um, in, in documenting and sharing information. Um, and, you know, as, as the pandemic has unraveled around the world, and I really appreciated this about this project, uh, Pandemic Solidarity uh, through Pluto Books, if people are interested in, in ordering it or, or finding out more about it, was this um, idea that actually social movements do shape political narratives and also actually shape policy. Um, they play such an important role. Um, Nancy, the history of Argentina illustrates that uh, profoundly. I mean, uh, we're talking about pandemic solidarity, but the recent news from Argentina, uh, uh, the victory of women's movements um, uh, around the legislation for people to have a right to an abortion. I mean, this is an intergenerational struggle, uh, obviously, um, but um, it, it points to, you know, maybe some of the points also that we see in pandemic solidarity around um, social movements actually um, playing a very important role in, in, in shaping political conversation and also the way that policy, um, uh, policy, policy is shaped and also our, how our society is shaped. I mean, one term that comes to mind also in, in reading that book is not anti-imperialism from above, you know, which is maybe the, the, the narrative of past generations, but anti-imperialism from below. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting that you mentioned the, the recent victory, huge victory of uh, getting the abortion legalized uh, because there's always a moment with, when these organizing is more micro, right? So this struggle has more than 37 years. I think that the first march uh, for the legalization of abortion was like uh, in 1984. 
uh, the march itself after uh, democracy, right? There's probably anarchist struggles uh, from the first immigrants in Argentina. But um, I think it's interesting because we are seeing, you know, mutual aid became like a buzzword. And recently there have been a number of like articles attacking it or, you know, saying it's not enough. It lacks strategy. Um, it doesn't have a, lo a long-term view. And sometimes, you know, you, you don't know what's going to happen, what kind of relationships are being built out of these projects worldwide. And the feminist struggle begun with, like, it's usually a, a small group of people, right, who are crazy because they want the impossible or because their imagination does not adjust to the agenda of a political party. And so, you know, the mainstream or the more traditional left might say, this lacks strategy and it's not going anywhere. And then it ends up with a massive movement that right now is influencing other countries like Chile is going to start debating abortion next week. Uh, I just read that yesterday. So I think we have to be more careful uh, in judging these uh, mutual aid experiences around the world. And that's so strong in the book for me was that people are doing it all over the world as Marina was saying. And maybe now it's fragments, you know? We, I think we tend to have that model of a revolutionary utopia that it might have only worked in terms of traditional politics and the state. Maybe it, it's different. It will take another form. You know, this transition out of capitalism, we don't know what form it will take. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Nancy. Um, you. you know, yeah, I really appreciate that. I, I think like in reading through the the different voices. I mean, I love the idea of the multitude and, and this book really illustrates that, you know, these networks have really um, grown and um, there's a lot of challenging of what is seen to be possible. And, you know, Marina, I, I know you from organizing, uh, be, well, mostly in, in New York, I mean, visiting and, and talking with people. And I'll just mention, you know, well, at least, you know, somebody we knew in common, you know, David Graeber passed away this year. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one thing that I, I think about in terms of, you know, this particular book that you've worked on, um, you know, was this idea of the fact that you see all these social movements expanding our ideas of what political possibility is, you know, and Nancy's just talked about that in terms of, you know, women's movements in Argentina demanding the impossible. And, and, and in this book, we see people accomplishing the impossible, you know, there's all these social movements facing like a full scale pandemic, but actually being able to respond to people's needs. And uh, it really underlines such an important narrative about the power of social movements. Um, so if, if you had any reflections on that, um, really love to hear them. Really wonderful to bring David Graeber into the conversation as well. Um, we've, you know, in talking about all of the amazing 
networks and the depth of mutual aid and the possibility that we're seeing out of this crisis to not forget it is such a deep and horrible crisis. And so many people are dying and their health is impacted forever for reasons that don't have to be, you know, it is a crisis. And I know this conversation isn't about that, but there's the crisis of the pandemic that the sickness itself. And then there's the crisis of capitalism that has made this so atrocious. And so, so many people who are dying because they're, you know, in, in what is the US and Turtle Island, you know, being ambulances turned away from hospitals because the people are less likely to survive. I mean, it's just grotesque. And people like David dying, who would have, you know, had he gotten access to the healthcare he needed in this moment, it's very unlikely he would have died. He would have been treated. Um, so there's, there's all of that. And that's just, you know, kind of holding all of that awful and horror together with all of this possibility, because that is the world we live in. It mm. is crisis and horror and possibility and imagination and beauty and all of it together. And so we focus on all the imagination and the beauty in this book and the possibility. Um, and we need to remember that always. So people do, you know, if you can't buy the book, contact us through the website or somehow, and we will get you the book. Um, somehow, don't worry. Because these stories are so important um, as far as what, you know, the, the inspiring parts of movements. Um, and I'm forgetting now I got yeah, so- Yeah, well, I was just wondering if you could talk about this idea of the movements um, sort of actually having the capacity to respond, right? And I think that that's a narrative that we don't see very often, the idea of movements actually having that capacity to support people in an alter institutional way, you know, beyond sort of how we're framed, we're often sort of socialized uh, in terms of political discourses about how responses to crises happen. Yeah, so that, and this is something we've seen throughout history, it's in the work of David as well, um, how people can respond in times of crisis, how we do, how we organize quickly, much faster than hierarchical institutions. It's not only being against capitalism in principle, but functionally hierarchy doesn't work, especially in a time of crisis to respond quickly. What, who can respond most quickly to what's the crisis in your neighborhood are the neighbors, are the people coming together. So it's both movements that were doing this and kind of people looking to one another and saying, hey, what do you need in Turkey? you know, they posted notes in the neighborhood with little phone numbers and yeah. people could call the phone numbers to find out. And then that kind of expanded. Um, yeah, if you could detail like a few examples like that. And thank so you. that, I mean, so in Turkey, it was in some of the neighborhoods, for example, that are, you know, in the book that where people are interviewed, um, it was much less about the internet. So in reaching the elderly, if you think anyone who's listening, think about your neighborhood, people of a much older generation are not on the internet looking on Facebook to see where their local mutual aid group is. They don't even know the language of mutual aid. So it was about putting up flyers with little phone numbers that you can rip off in the neighborhood, you know, stapling them up, taping them up, whatever, putting them in people's mailboxes so people could telephone and talk to people. And it was talk to people about getting help that they needed, you know, food, medicines. It's also loneliness. Think about old people who are by themselves month after month. You know, and you can hold on to your memories and that is something to hold on to, but speaking to a real person is really different. So they also, one of the things they organized was just kind of keeping people company, even if it was by telephone. Um, there are many examples, Nancy, 
you know, could also talk about all the different examples of what this has looked like in the different neighborhoods. But it's, it's you know, about meeting people's physical needs, medicine, food. And then there's this question of loneliness, but also healthcare came up in a different way too. So the solidarity clinics in Greece, for example, that existed before the pandemic, but came out of an earlier crisis. So social solidarity clinics, you know, run horizontally outside the state with the community, rethinking what health is. So meeting people's needs and rethinking health in this holistic way. You know, how do we think about our entire bodies, our emotional needs and health? So when people are thinking about networks that pop up in times of crisis, very quickly, these networks are not just about meeting our body needs. It's seeing our body as this holistic body, mind, spirit, all of that as a whole person needs to be social. Um, there were puppet shows and things that were happening in Taiwan, part for partly edu you know, popular education, but also um, as just a way of bringing some kind of sociability into it, um, anti-prison organizing. So that addressing the urgency inside the prisons and linking that necessarily, it has to be linked to the question of abolishing prisons. And that happened, you know, that was in Turtle Island, that was a conversation in Greece, in Argentina, without our planning this and putting the book together. These are conversations that are coming up in the time of crisis. So when we talk about networks and the possibility of a different society, one that is not organized on the relationship of capitalism, we do that ourselves really quickly. We meet our needs and we start to think very quickly about what it means to be a whole person, what it means to be a society. What do we do if someone kind of steps out, creates a harm? How do we deal with that? And all of these questions come up really quickly. I think one of the challenges maybe we can talk about a little later um, in the program is how do we hold on to these networks? This imagination that bursts open out of necessity, how do we ground that and hold that and broaden it even when the crisis isn't as deep? Maybe I'll just uh, say thank you so much. Um, uh, Nancy, if you have any points you'd like to continue on from, from there. Um, I think this is very interesting because Marina mentioned the material, the our capacities for organizing um, in, in times of crisis, but also the idea of rethinking. So we are, you know, it, it's sometimes portrayed as it's only about providing the basics for people. Um, and no, I think it's, it, these experiences can be deeply transformational for a lot of people. Uh, uh, and I, I think it's also really interesting those who are not organizers and have be, started participating because of these mutual aid projects and the pandemic. In one of the interviews, I think it's in Turkey, uh, the, the woman was uh, amazed because she didn't have to give anything in return and she didn't have to pay for what she was receiving. So, you know, it's um, just becoming aware. And, and uh, I think there's a very interesting concept of um, justice as discovery that's very interesting for me, right? So as we are building these relationships and learning, and they are incredibly complex, you know, it's, um, 
because we are complex as human beings, but as we are doing it, uh, we're also discovering what is justice for us and not, you know, it's not an item in, in the agenda of an NGO or a concept that is defined for us by a political party, because that usually comes with the limits of justice. You know, this is what you can do, right? When they define it for you, it's so you can go this, this far. No, the people and the, and, and the organizations and the neighbors, they are, they're just discovering what it is about. I think it's, it's very challenging at the same time. It's great. And also one of the things that is criticized about it, and I think it's important to talk about this, it's that uh, it's like a double-edged uh, uh, sword because it's like an, an, an excuse for the state to not be responsible for certain basic things because, oh, you are self-organizing, you know, so you can take the state that's not need that excuse. The state has already abandoned us in a lot of aspects. Um, it doesn't need mutual aid to stop caring about us, right? So um, let, let's focus on all the potential of these movements, like, like Marina said, we're rethinking a lot of things as we're doing it. Um, well, and, and, and in the context of Argentina, but also in Latin America, where people have struggled, you know, certainly over the last two decades, but be, before that to, um, to actually oppose neoliberal economics that, that defunded a lot of you know, public institutions and public institutions in a lot of cases that were constructed post-dictatorships you know, in, in various contexts um, you know, in yes. Argentina, of course. Yes, and, and they are being sustained by networks and by movements, um, by a lot of workers from unions. So there's also a lot of you know, inter-participation between the state and the non-state. I think that's also complex and it's an interesting discussion. But yeah, yeah, that's, well, that's true. Well, thanks for highlighting that. Um, but yeah, I think that the book does visit that uh, that complexity of of the the role of social movements and the role of operating outside of official institutions, but also acknowledging that these movements actually shape uh, the ways that society moves. You know, and and I think that again, you know, in this project that you've worked on, pandemic solidarity, we see um, the the voices of action but we also see the voices of vision, you know, and it's, and the way that those two intersect, you know, um, and, and through, you know, Nancy, what you're talking about through that process of organizing visions of how to better structure uh, our communities in the future and to respond to these things comes about, but also clearly opposing the injustice of, you know, unaccountable corporate and state, policies that that have really created the crisis and and maybe we can take it on from there it's just the ways that the ways that um you know um policy uh on the part of corporations and and governments really created the context for the crisis and i maybe we could just go back to you nancy on, on that point just of in the in the context of argentina or your region more generally and i know that you follow things around the world of course um but just, just the ways that neoliberalism, you know, and the hollowing out of public institutions uh, led to 
a lot of this crisis and how social movements actually had to step up to fill those gaps, which you were sort of alluding to before. Yeah. Yes, historically, social movements have had to feed people, Uh, you know, so from the most basic and the material. uh, That's also, I think, one of the reasons why a lot of people are participating because they find their um, spaces of support, uh, the kitchen suits, um, assemblies of all kinds, and then more formal social uh, organizations. uh, Because I I think it's true that a lot of people like don't have the time and the energy to participate politically. You know, like our lives are organized and we work and then we commute or whatever. We're, We're tired, you know, and this idea that a lot of people just don't have the energy. And I think that because in Argentina, a lot of these movements have sustained life and care work has made life possible, um, is that the movements and the political is so entrenched in our lives. Um, So the material, I think it is an opportunity. It's not only about the material, we were just talking about that. Um, And yes, this pre-existing networks allow us to better respond in times of crisis, like Marina said. And I think that also points to the fact that any time is good to start organizing because you will be better, you will have better possibilities, not only of surviving, but also this idea you never know what comes out of that, so. Respect to that, thank thank you. Um, um, Marina, I, I mean, I, I, I was actually thinking about this this past week was just the, the protests against the World Economic Forum in New York in 2003. And I, I was working with a, a sound artist uh, here and I was recording um, memories of uh, being um, locked up during one of the protests there. And, um, but, you know, I think, you know, uh, just, just I'm, I'm just mentioning that because, you know, there's an effort over many years to push forward these ideas that actually activism and social movement has va- both valid critiques, but valid action to uh, actually step up, you know, in a way that um, uh, addresses crises, right? And, and the thing I really liked about the book, I mean, there's many things, but one of the points I really liked, and Marina, if you, if you, we're into sharing anything about this, I'd appreciate it, Um, is just this idea that actually this book is an answer to any sort of um, ideas that activists don't tangibly um, work uh, to support people, right? Like, and and actually be there to step up, right? And and also that there, there isn't actually a delineation or a separation between activists and, community. They're a part of the community and these radical ideas actually are coming out of the practice of supporting each other. And I just love how many examples this book outlines uh, around these ideas around, but in a global sense, which, which makes you feel less isolated, you know, and that's what reading this book felt like. No, it's a great question also in thinking about what even we mean we, different people, you know, if you say activist, I imagine if you asked a lot of people involved in these networks around the world, 
are you an activist? Or, wow, that's amazing activism. They might look at you funny, like, huh, activism? You know, um, I'm helping my neighbors. I'm doing things in my community. That's what we do, right? Yeah. I mean, someone's starting to fall down, you quick run to help pick them up. I mean, that's just what, like literally someone's falling near you, you jump to help them get up. When there's a fire, people run to it to help put it out. They don't run away from it. It's just, I think, part of who we are. And um, the, you know, the stories in this book all over the world, this book was put together in not even three months. It was very fast. And some of the contributors, you know, came in at later points. So they put chapters together, you know, in less than a month, meaning interviewing a bunch of people. But it wasn't like there was this plan. And we as a collective, Colectiva Sembrar, the, the editorial group who put the book together, we didn't sit down and make a list of, okay, where are the high points of activism? It was what's happening around us talk to those people and everywhere people were organizing in this way. And it's activism in that people are activated and organizing with one another and it's based on care and love. But if we don't call it activism, it's also okay. I think what Nancy was talking about, about people having this hesitation sometimes, you know, being busy and trying to support your family or your, whatever your network is, feeling like I can't get involved in activism because it's over there. Mm -hmm. And what this shows is it's whatever is right around us and then expanding kind of outward so that in your immediate neighborhood and then networking that outward. And there definitely were in each place. And I think this is something really interesting, people who have been involved in prior movements. So you're talking about the World Economic Forum. I definitely knew people all the way back from the Direct Action Network to Occupy Wall Street. Some of the people in Turkey had been involved in Gessy Park. So there's different Argentina. I know Liz actually from the post-popular rebellion, also Nancy, that's you know, 2001, 2002. So these, there are so many of us who've been involved in different ways, but that doesn't mean we, you know, as the kind of activists with experience, were the ones to make this happen. It wasn't like that. It's that people come together in these crises, but people who have more experience lending that experience and then sharing maybe contacts and connections mm. we might have around the world, that helps to broaden it. I think those two things coming together, the kind of, not that people help, not even the political vision. I think the political vision comes out of people organizing with one another but lending experiences from past movements and connections with people around the world, that adds a level of possibility that goes from helping in a time of crisis and imagining difference, imagining kind of different alternatives to revolutionary possibility. We can create a new society. And I'm, I don't feel like I'm overstating here. When you look at these kinds of networks and all that we can do in such a short period of time, Imagine that moving outward. And there is this question of the state. The state is a problem. So how much movements push the state or move the state? I don't know. I think that is a question. It also really depends on a location um, and the history in those different locations. Hmm. But can we get the resources from the state because we are better at distributing those resources? That seems to be, at least where I'm located, more of you know what a claim would be that would be not you know okay whatever government please you know shift the way you're doing things 
Where I am, that's not likely to happen. I mean, the United States of all places, especially, um, even on local levels, but maybe getting some of those resources would be different. Um, and then the last, there's another point I wanted to raise, and maybe Nancy, you could talk about this as well, which is that we started the book with a chapter on Rojava. And that was intentional. Um, we had thought about ending the book with Rojava because of the possibility of rethinking society completely. You know, what if these networks were that kind of basis for a new society? What if there were forms of direct and participatory democracy making these decisions? And that is what's happening to differing extents, but that is the project in, you know, this area located in Northern Syria. That is millions of people from different backgrounds making decisions over their lives together um, and in an equitable way as far as gender parity. Um, and that, so starting with that, to kind of start us off with, this is really concrete and possible. This is not just dreaming. This is not fiction and to inspire you and then you put it down and you go back to your life. Hmm. This can be a permanent way of looking at our lives and organizing society. Thank you so much for sharing that, uh, Marina. Um, and, and that sort of spirit, you see that, uh, of course, I mean, for any social movements in the United States or Canada, uh, their in, you know, entire framework, um, at least from you know, our general generation has been shaped by ideas from the Americas, you know, uh, largely driven by indigenous movements. Um, you know, of course the Zapatista movement played such a role, but beyond that, I mean, those struggles, um, you know, further South in, in, in Brazil, in Argentina, in Chile against dictatorship and in these like intense crises where um, it was, um, you know, uh, also, a context where you know Western power uh, or G7 power, whatever you would like to call it, uh, corporate power also was enforcing profound violence. Um, so, in 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 this book, uh, Nancy, um, you highlight examples from uh, you know the your your region and also the the role that um, social movements are playing in terms of, of stepping up. And also, you know, you've had some interesting points that I really appreciated around language, you know, and, and your efforts to sort of, um, uh, critically think about how political ideas are translated through language or not translated, you know, and I, I think that was a, also one point that I, I was hearing from you over time around this book that had come up, the book, of course, Pandemic Solidarity. I, I don't know if you have any reflections on that or anything else. Yeah, I think that, well, that's challenging and interesting. It uh, has to do with these international networks, uh, how translatable these experiences are uh, and the local and the global, right? So these are very locally situated experiences, but also when we look at the structural injustices globally, uh, we find a lot of similarities and a lot of similarities in, in the strategies. So what you see around uh, along the book is that um, yeah, people are organizing to respond to a set of uh, priorities and issues are happening all over the world. Repression is also happening in a lot of countries, racism. Um, 
And there are like, for instance, reflections about food that are very interesting for me, like food sovereignty, you know, like we're providing food for people, but a couple of, um, uh, I think it was Brazil and also in Argentina, it's what kind of food are we providing? So that is then, you know, the reflection and the rethinking while we're doing uh, the, 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 that network in Argentina made up by kindergarten teachers who were thinking about like early childhood support during a pandemic, like uh, how to support a woman that was breastfeeding uh, and was like surrounded by her other children in the house because the, the kids could not be in, in at school. And the teacher even we're thinking what kind of food are we providing and so then they reached out to social environmental assemblies in the neighborhood to get food from uh, agroecological producers and those producers were dumping their production because they were not being able to sell it they were not getting paid enough so they were like dumping it and the teachers reached out and say, hey, why don't we connect and we can provide quality food? Or these teachers disobeyed the, the orders of the Ministry of Education. They were sending like a bunch of activities and the teachers said like, no, this is irrelevant. This is not supporting the families. Um, so it's just, you know, like th stopping and thinking. Um, and not following the hierarchical orders, like Marina said, we are capable of being equal and those stepping up. And, and when we, you, we are, you are in a group and discussing with other people, instead of just on your own, um, hoarding stuff, you can think with others. And so that for me was, was amazing, you know, the, the, the capability of doing and thinking at the same time. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, and like also like Marina said, not not necessarily activists, even people in their own buildings. Uh, and I saw that in New York. I was so surprised. You know, sometimes we in Latin America have this um, prejudice about how activism is in the United States, right? And I, I saw the posters on the buildings on my street in Brooklyn, with like who are you what do you need what can you offer yeah. and because in big we are you know it's like we lack space we lack privacy and at the same time we don't know who the neighbors are like so that simple thing is like who are you living with you know like it that's that's incredible it might seem like nothing and uh, in this system that wants us isolated and selfish, that is a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I, I mean, there's so many, many different things to take from this book. Um, but that idea of, you know, solidarity has become a word that actually has been really started. It started to be mainstreamed, you know, which is interesting. You know, I, even people in the Democratic Party of the mainstream of the Democratic Party in the United, United States are using that word. I mean, in, in the French language, it's been common for a long time, but um, it's it's just, uh, but yeah, I mean, about the book and, and what you've shared, you know, that idea of possibility, but also action and, um, 
you know, also just seeing the ways that that is happening globally. And, and, you know, just to be honest, I, 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 I just love the fact that you, both of you, and I know so many people were involved in it, stepped up, you know, and, and did this project and, and yeah. And just to just say like, um, you know, that, these voices do lift up and give give like a sense of motivation and reference right and and i think like that's one of the dangers we face is this you know this idea that that you don't have those other points of reference to sort of both reflect on what you're doing as an organizer and also to look at what you know another in another context somebody's doing and actually that works to empower you and it's not just you know um funneled through individualist narratives. So that, that was really cool. Um, so I, I encourage everybody to check out the book and, that, and our conversation sort of reflects the book itself because there's so many ideas in it and so many voices, which is, which is super cool. So thank you so much, both of you for taking the time to, to speak today. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you thanks. so much. Yeah. Pleasure. That was a conversation with um, Nancy Pinheiro in Argentina and Marina Citrin in New York City, who are both uh, organizers and a part of the collective effort that went into a very important book that came out called Pandemic Solidarity. You can find it through Pluto Books. Uh, I read through this uh, title in detail. I really recommend it as an example and a spotlight on community responses to the pandemic. On that note, I wanted to go to a piece of music uh, by a great artist from New York City. Um, this is a piece by uh, Moondog.
That was a track by Moondog here on Free City Radio. This is the 24th edition. Thanks for being with us. I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. Continuing on with the ways that uh, activists uh, at a community-based level have been responding to this crisis, I wanted to go to a conversation I had with three members of a collective in Pittsburgh who are involved with an effort called Jailbreak. Uh, This is a really uh, excellent organization that both is responding to the needs of prisoners. Uh, This is in a county jail in downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, This is one of those locations we've heard a lot about uh, over recent months around uh, cash bail and access to freedom of people who are simply being held for uh, minor charges and can't get out of prison because of lack of access to funds because of poverty. Um, And of course, uh, the prison is a site of struggle. This group really addresses the reality of the prison industrial complex, but also has taken concrete action. And uh, they were involved in a a protest on New Year's Eve um, 2020, as we went into 2021, that I was really struck by. Uh, They had a DJ sound system outside the prison, the county jail, and downtown Pittsburgh, and they actually had made a playlist um, that was based on songs that people on the inside of the jail had chosen. Um, I thought it was a really moving action. There's been similar protests here in Montreal around the Migrant Detention Centre in the city in Laval, just north of Montreal, um, on New Year's Eve also. in past years. So I was really excited to speak with three members of Jailbreak in Pittsburgh. They introduced themselves and I'll get right to it. Here they are. I'm Manny, uh, lifelong Pittsburgher. I'm a part of Jailbreak, uh, the Bucket Bell Fund. I'm also part of, a part of uh, One Hood Media. So uh, I've been you know, a part of local activism uh, for a while now. It's important to me to be a part of Jailbreak because of uh, I've been to that jail personally and how many of my family members and my friends uh, have been incarcerated in that jail. And because of how bad Allegheny County Jail is in particular, uh, I personally don't believe anybody needs to be there, but those who are there before even being convicted of something, which is like the majority of people or people who are there held on like um, like violations or, or holds, uh, I think anybody that's there before their trial and before their conviction uh, should be released, especially at a time like this during COVID where it's impossible to distance in there. Uh, so uh, that's that's a long way of saying uh, it's, it's important to me because I know what incarceration is like and I don't wish that upon anybody. Manny, thanks so much for sharing that. Um, and so just to note, uh, we're speaking with community activists in, in Pittsburgh. Um, so, uh, Imani, uh, would you like to share a bit about yourself and uh, why jailbreak is important for you? Um, yes. Actually, I'm not from Pittsburgh. I'm from Washington County, but I did a lot of work over the summer in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And doing so, that's what my eyes really opened about ACJ and like the other prisons because we don't really have like the that, like that many... I won't say issues, but it's a smaller town, so we don't really deal as much. But being out there, and um, I'm also in university, and I'm a criminal justice major, and learning about the correctional system, it's, it's messed up. And there's no better way to try to fix that by being out in the streets and being vocal about those issues that I'm even learning about in class. So, Right on. 
right on. Thank you. Um, uh, hi. Uh, you can say M. <laughs> Mikila? Milica. Milica? Okay, great. Um, please uh, introduce yourself. I'm Milica or M. Um, I'm a person who moved to Pittsburgh about three years ago um, mm -hmm. on the 5th. And I know Manny through the bail fund. Primarily, we met um, organizing with the bail fund the last few years. And I do want to lift up that Manny functionally started Jailbreak. You might not say this, but um, Manny and a couple others, I'd be curious actually maybe to talk about what last winter looked like Manny versus like after the uprising began in May, because I really, there's kind of like these couple different periods of Jailbreak, I think, where... Um, Jailbreak's important to me because I think it's a couple of things. I think first it's like um, the easiest way I think for people to think and dream about an abolitionist world. And I really like appreciated what um, we were so stoked the other day. I think Mariam Kaba like posted a bunch of abolitionist organizations that she lifted up and included Jailbreak and just included a line saying, if something like this doesn't exist, just start one at where you're at. And um, it was a very simple premise where Manny and a couple comrades were like, yeah, we'll just sit in front of the jail. Like we don't have money or funding or <laughs> formal structure, but like no one has rides when they get out. This was, this was back in December last year. So a couple months before the, um, the outbreak. And yeah, the premise is very simple. I mean, people who've been through ACJ, I, I work in public defense. So I'm, I kind of um, see the institutional that uh, I feel with how kind of little all these institutions fail people and kind of intentionally set people up to fail when they do finally um, win their freedom. But all the barriers that kind of go into it are, are pretty shocking. So just the idea that like Manny and a couple comrades could sit in front of the jail and people are coming out in the winter in their summer clothes with no bus passes or when the buses are down or when there's a pandemic and the buses aren't working or exiting without masks is, um, it just says a lot about our society and like the kind of like systems failures that I think like, I think anarchists and abolitionists are really concerned about in ways that I'm really excited are being kind of more mainstream. So jailbreak is exciting to me for this, or it's just like, we're not taking no, right? Like when on the core thread, when someone, Kay, I think has been holding a lot this week, but um, her partner uh, and Kay were instrumental in putting together the playlist on New Year's Eve, for example, and just like ACJ is a county jail where our friends are primarily under lockdown. So there's very little communication. And when there is communication, it's just like writing everything down or saying, when are you calling next? Will they let us out for this 45 minutes today? We don't know if it'll happen tomorrow. So we, the energy of jailbreak is like, yes, we will. <laughs> like we will. <laughs> and um, I need that right now. And I'm sure you all do too in your ways. So that's, that's what I would say about it. <laughs> Thank you, Milica. Uh, Manny, so maybe could you describe the 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 place where you decided to take action um and and how and how that went down um and just the idea that you you know had made that choice to step up uh you talked about your own experience um but why why that community focus and and just for people who aren't aware of the the landscape you know just maybe just describe this county jail in in pittsburgh 
Well, the county jail in Pittsburgh is, is one of the worst in the country. Uh, it has among like the highest suicide rates. Uh, and there's actually quite a few articles uh, or there have been quite a few pieces written up uh, talking to people who were both incarcerated and people who worked there talking about just how uh, poor the conditions are. Uh, just recently, somebody uh, posted a video of, of the food that the inmates are being uh, uh, served. And it's like, I mean, it's not even close to proper nutrition and uh, it's a total lack of medical staff. And there's a high suicide rate, but a lot of people die there from, from a lack of care, which is how uh, the Bucket Bell Fund came into existence because uh, Bucket is somebody's name who suffered a medical emergency in that jail. And instead of uh, giving him aid, they put him in shackles and, and he died right there on the spot. So, I'm saying. so uh, when, when I say that the jail is, is, is a messed up place, I'm not, I'm not being dramatic. Like even, even for people who are considered to be bad or people who need to be punished. Uh, and and I'll, I'll note that most people, when you, when you go to the county, you're not serving a sentence. I'm saying you're accused of something you may be innocent of I'm saying and and even if you're even if you are found innocent like I was in all of my cases you still deal with that jail experience I'm saying and the CEOs the correctional officers you know they're, they're most of them they don't really have any interest in helping you or or making uh your experience uh any any less traumatizing than it naturally is mm -hmm. I'm saying and like I said, I had a lot of family members who've been there before me, uh, and, and I'm the youngest of my siblings, and a lot of them told me uh, how bad it is, and basically, you know, trying to scare me into, into staying straight while I'm out in the world, and <laughs> mm. it worked to a degree, but we, regardless of how much somebody can talk to you, it's, it's a totally different thing to experience it yourself. Uh, even, you know, getting strip searched, having them, like, bend over, and that's that's a problem we have here in the ACJ uh, dealing with our trans people uh, not being put in, in, in a proper, uh, or not being gendered properly, I, I should say that. And so um, I'll say the initial idea to, to start jailbreak or to take action, it wasn't mine. So I'm saying, and, and it was somebody, uh, it, was, it was a group of people who actually came and visited us at a, at a bucket meeting with this idea of just helping people who are getting out of there any way that we can. And uh, I, I am, you know, grateful to say I was a part of what jailbreak uh, became to be. I was a part of, of the original planning. And uh, started out, we just had a meeting. We reached out to quite a few different organizations who are focused on like mutual aid around the city uh, and basically said, you know, we want to help these people any way that we can. And like Melissa said, uh, I was one of the first people who went down there and, and table. Basically just, we had like, bus passes or uh, bus cards mm -hmm. and get you quite a few rides. We had cigarettes. Like she said, it was, it was in the winter time. So we had like some hats, some gloves, you know, like uh, we, uh, we have phone chargers like, or you can charge it. You can use my phone. Yeah. And, and basically we were just offering support any way that we could. Okay. Any, anything we can do to help, help your transition to be a little bit better. Every, every time I was down there and released, uh, there was no type of order. There was no type of discharge center. Uh, they didn't care where I was going. They didn't care how I got there. They didn't care whether or not um, I had any any medical issues that needed to be addressed. They didn't. They didn't care about any of that. And right now, I'm I'm happy to say it's getting a little bit better. 
the gel itself is getting a little bit better, but it's definitely not uh, where it needs to be. And I think, and and I'll end it on this, like um, in in gel, and I'll speak about the ACJ, like they they treat you as as subhuman. I, I think a lot of them think, and I'm not making this up. I've, I've heard this. A, a lot of the inmate or the, a lot of the CEOs think um, you don't deserve to be treated like a human because you're incarcerated. And and I think uh, jailbreak and, and the people there want to remind uh, the CEOs and the system itself of these people's humanity. Like these these are human beings deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. And I think that's something that we that we do. Right on, right on. Um, yeah, I, I in terms of the discussion that has been going on, um, particularly in the context of the pandemic, but beyond that and before that about the systemic injustice of the prison industrial complex in, in the United States um, and how systemic racism shapes uh, prison institutions in the US. Um, there's some discussion about that, um, you know, that of course translates to the mainstream media and it's often projected through the voices of politicians, um, you know, some who are, are especially now and it's interesting taking quite good positions. Um, but what's often missing in that coverage is how community activists on the ground are actually organizing to do direct support, uh, some of which you're just des describing, Manny. Um, you know, the very tangible, you know, person to person support that is, you know, necessary to lift up a lot of these ideas about, you know, prison abolition and, and deep critiques of, you know, the histories of racism that shape the prison industrial complex. Uh, Imani, you're studying these issues now. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if you could share a bit about why it was important for you to um, sort of navigate between those spaces of, of your, your, you know, of your studies, but also to tangibly um, be part of this community effort to support um, people who have been facing incarceration and, and through that um, critique, um, the county jail in, in Pittsburgh, but also the broader issues. Yeah, I'm the type of person that when I realize something, I want to take action. You know, I want to educate myself. Like, I try my best to about ACJ and other things. And, of course, I don't know everything. And being with these people, I've been learning a lot from them, really. So I appreciate that. And um, why I decided to put action to it, like I said, I don't sit back and I don't like to sit back and be angry. Because a lot of people are like, oh, like, this is messed up oh, this is that, but what are they actually doing about it? There's very few people actually doing something about it. And I like to do things. I like change. I'm not the type of person that likes to follow people. You know, if someone's not doing it, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's how these people are. Like, man, E, M, that's the type of people we are. The rest of them, that's how we are. You know, we're leaders. And, you know, I just feel like we're doing stuff that we should be doing. Mm -hmm. um, if you know Shirley Chisholm, she was the one of the first black woman for in Congress. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from her is service is the rent we pay for living on this earth. And this is service. This is what we should be doing. And that's, that's just how I view it. Mm. How's it been for you to join some of the actions uh, and efforts at the county jail? Like just, just being there and, and, and being part of, of, of those protests and, and being in front of that, that building that represents all these issues. It's, it's, it's a couple of things. It's, 
great to be out there and, and bring something to them and them know that we support them and we love them. Um, at the same time, it kind of makes me sad because of the conditions that they've been going on. Like, they literally have it down to the science of how little they have to feed the inmates. And that makes me upset um, how currently they're blaming COVID for not feeding them properly. Meanwhile, they haven't been feeding them properly. So there's no excuse for that. Um, you know, not giving them the proper mental health care. There's multiple things and it's, it's bittersweet, but in the end, it'll be worth it. That's all I know. Right on, right on. Um, thanks for that. Uh, Milicia, um, how was it on New Year's Eve? Can you describe for people? I saw the photos. They looked awesome um, and beautiful. I love the banners and the, the lights. And somebody mentioned a playlist. That sounds like a good scene. So if you yeah. could share a bit about that, that would be great. Yeah, I would love to lift up New Year's Eve. Can I say a couple sh very short things just about what Imani Welcome. and Manny Welcome. Welcome. I mentioned a couple single sentences that I just wanted to lift up. Um, everything that Imani and Manny are talking about is just jailbreak is really reproducible stuff. So like, I think that we were figuring out pieces that were like missing and how can we like really, yeah, like link up with our friends inside who are trapped there despite all the action that is being taken to make this fucking impossible. And so I think, yeah, just from, from the transportation piece to staying in touch with folks to very basic things where like when unhoused folks come out that we're able to just be like, yeah, we're gonna just do like emergency housing for a couple of days. And like, we couldn't do that a year ago, but we can do that now. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and, and like, there's just like these top things like folks not having phones that work six months later, people accruing debt, people um, having missed two payments for their housing because the person posting their bail wasn't able to until now. People and getting out. Of course. And then like missing payments and kind of having things accrue. So I I just would really encourage anyone listening to this. It's like not about like like these Pittsburgh specific circumstances, but like also there's like a reproducible element to this that I'd really encourage anyone who's interested and wants to do this and maybe doesn't have um, either capacity or spoons or experience, like reach out to us or other groups that um, we're in relationship with. Like many of us are do anti-repression organizing here and elsewhere and um, would love to talk to people about it. But New Year's Eve was magical. And I, I'm curious, I want to hear more about what Imani and Manny thought about it, because I really do think the energy was very, very joyful. And um, it kind of came together quite quickly. I think that it was in the first week or second week of December, Manny, that I think people brought it up maybe. Um, and I want to say it was in the jailbreak chat to start. Um, but in years past, it was kind of more, I want to say, yeah, some of the anarchist crews in town put together noise demos and not only on New Year's Eve, um, but jailbreak's comparatively new, just about a year old. And uh, yeah, so someone threw it up maybe the first or second week of December and I organized shows at, at a warehouse space and have access to some music stuff. And, um, and then someone else kind of was like, oh, this is great. We should have a samba band open the night. And we're like, that'd be great because the PA is probably not going to last in the cold more than two or three hours. And yeah. Um, and then I was thinking it'd be really beautiful with all the calls that we get that we just form the playlist around people's requests exclusively. And so a couple of folks were taking calls and it was really funny. My, um, my comrade who kind of helped with the music tech stuff, he was like, I'll put together a provisional playlist. And, I, and we were like, we don't think that'll be necessary. We'll get a lot of, <laughs> we'll get a lot of requests. And like three days, I think before New Year's Eve, we had like a, 
we'd kind of had had a final playlist that was exclusively our friends' requests and um, from inside. From inside. Wow. And Kay, um, Kay in particular, Kay's partner and and um, Sally Naim, who I think would want to be named, and I will ask him and maybe can confirm with you, Stefan. But the two of them kind of really made this happen with Kay and a couple other people just sending in songs. And um, and then Joey kind of put together the playlist and had this magical mobile PA and everyone kind of came out also with with the traditional like pots and pans and drums and music makers and and the jail's kind of situated I, and Manny and Imani can speak more to this but like I, I wrote you an email kind of describing physically where the jail is it's on second avenue in our downtown business district which is by design like dead and cut off like after 5 p.m so there's very little foot traffic um or if there is it's like connected to the bridges and there's like kind of unhoused and highly highly kind of criminalized and police like folks in this area so it's all very isolated and um and it was just really beautiful you know like people it was some jailbreak people some other kind of um comrades came together specifically like on a new year's eve thread and we had a couple meetings i want to say two or three amani manny do you remember i think it was three maybe in total we just like had quick check-ins we had like one structure meeting and then like two check-ins about Organized. the playlist like rough timeline and safety stuff wow um, i'd love manny to talk maybe a little bit more about safety and um just it, it was so beautiful and intentional and, and also autonomous in that kind of magical way like our bike block crew kind of came through last minute but weren't necessarily in the organizing thread but kind of came up and and i thought it was also really beautiful when there was like kind of like energetic things happening we congregated under the bridge to the side of the jail to start just because we didn't want police to kind of immediately cut off second avenue and the um intersection with the jail and kind of be really hostile so we just had this, the Samba band just started playing around, I want to say, was it 8.20ish or so? Like we were congregating a little bit before eight. And then the Samba band just starts under the bridge and the acoustics are fant fantastic. Yeah. It's towards the back of the jail. And it's, it's prob probably was confusing because you just hear this like magical music emanating under, under the bridges right by our jail. And then slowly everyone in black starts congregating. <laughs> and... Um, Anyway, I'm talking too much, but the, the short thing I'll say is like, I did feel like um, a sadness throughout the night where like you, you're gazing upwards, like physically what's happening is there's this beautiful music, people are dancing, you know, like our dumpster and comrades brought beautiful like hot chocolate and tea that was available. There was care people doing emotional aid and um, we had medics as well. And we didn't done things like that over the summer, but you're physically gazing upwards the whole time. And like, um, and the attention paid, I think, between like what we tentatively planned for folks and asked if if they wanted, and also we're asking for feedback after. There's kind of this energy of like, how else can we communicate? And we only have until 10 p.m. when the tablets are cut off. Um, so Kay was getting calls from friends up until 10 and like being told to like position her, herself and being like, we, we want to see who this is, like come by the PA and. Uh, and we, and we went to different sections of the jail because they kind of, I mean, it's pretty disgusting. And maybe I'll send you Stefan a statement from S who sent like feedback the next day, basically saying he's in a cell facing a wall. So he could only hear, not see. Okay. So I, I really appreciate that interaction you're describing between the prisoners um, or people held in jail. I mean, the, 
a lot of people who just can't pay bail and, and there's really not a lot of justifiable legal process around um, people being incarcerated, especially in a county jail. And I really appreciate jailbreak's focus on um, ideas around dismantling uh, the prison industrial complex. Um, and um, Manny, you talked about, um, you know, a lot of some of what has happened for you personally, but also why doing community action was important. Um, so in, in your sense, like, was it important for you to have that connection with people on the inside and, and, you know, beyond the rhetoric of, you know, critiques of, you know, prisons that we do see more online now, which is excellent. You're working in a process that actually talks directly to prisoners. And I really appreciate that. Right. So I, I think it's a little more than just me, like feeling a connection with them. I, I feel as if I am them. My my original like experience with incarceration comes from my immediate home, like my family. Like matter of fact, one of my earliest memories, I was a toddler in a courtroom with my mom while my older brother was was being sentenced. Uh, he got sentenced to ten to twenty. So my whole childhood growing up, I'm visiting him in prison. And uh, my brothers in their teenage years, uh, they were sent to Schumann, which is a uh, juvenile detention facility uh, in Pittsburgh. They got sent to boot camps and uh, my first experience with the county jail, I was 16. So even though I was a juvenile, I didn't get that juvenile detention experience. I, I got an adult experience. And like I said before, uh, it, it really made me uh, understand or internalize everything that, that my people have been telling me uh, up to that point. So thinking about helping uh, incarcerated people now, I'm, I'm thinking about myself as one of them. You know what I'm saying? I, I know what that's like. That's an experience that that never leaves you. You know, what I, mean? sure. I can't even. Sure. <laughs> I can't eat cornbread. <laughs> I can't. I can't smell coleslaw. <laughs> every time. Every time I get a whiff of rubber, I'm thinking about the little booties they give you. <laughs> like <laughs> I immediately, yeah. I immediately there. So it's like, um, you know, like yeah, yeah. Like I, said, I, I feel. Uh, being a part of that community, I, I have a, a duty and a responsibility to help them in any way that I can. And um, I really appreciate what Melissa said about this being like um, uh, reproducible, like um, anything you do helps. You know what I'm saying like, you know, like, like I said, we first went there, uh, has gloves, coffee, like that's, that's really, like, really small, basic stuff. Just being there, even if we didn't offer anything, just our yeah. presence is, is, is help enough because uh, most people don't think that anybody cares. And um, most people I'll say, I'll say some people don't care because they're not aware of what's actually happening. But when most people are aware, um, I think like you're, you're, you're compelled to care because like I said, they're, they're human beings and they don't get treated as such. They should be. Right on, right on. Well, thank you all so much for being part of this conversation today. We're out of time. Um, and I really appreciate um, everything that you shared. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks. This has been the 24th edition of uh, Free City Radio here in Montreal. Uh, I'm your host, Stefan Christoph. We share a new episode with you every Tuesday. Thanks for subscribing. Uh, please tell your friends. Uh, also, I just encourage uh, you to check out our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. 
You can also email me anytime at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. That is stefan.christoff at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Spirodon, S-P-I-R-O-D-O-N. Free City Radio also is a weekly community radio show here in Montreal on CKUT 90.3 FM. We broadcast every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Thanks for being with us. It's been a pleasure to be with you. I wanted to go to a piece by Mos Def. This is Auditorium, and I'll see you next week. Here we go. Hey. Peace, 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 peace. Bow, bow. Uh, uh. Mad liberator, deaf operator, rock the data, amazing flavor. Yo, the way I feel. Sometimes it's too hard to sit still Things are so passionate, times are so real Sometimes I try to chill, mellow down, blow a smoke A smile on my face, but it's really no joke You feel it in the street, the people breathe without hope They going through the motion, they dimming down the focus The focus get cleared and the light turns sharp And the eyes grow teary, the mind grow weary I speak it so clearly, sometimes y'all don't hear me I push it past the base, no nation's got to feel me I feel it in my bones, black, I'm so wide awake That I'm hardly ever asleep, my flow forever Deep in his volumes of scriptures when I breathe on a beat My presence speak volumes before I say a word I'm everywhere, penthouse, pavement, a curb Cradle to the grave, so cathedral of a shell Universal ghetto life, holla black, you know it well Quiet storm, vital form, pen push the bright across Mind is a vital force, high level right across Soul is the lion's roar, voice is the siren I swing round, ring out, and bring down the tyrant Shot a small axe and knock a giant lopsided The world is so dangerous, there's no need for frightening Suckers trying to hide I like the struggle, won't find them. Then the sun busts through the cloud to clearly remind them this everywhere. Penthouse pavement the curb, cradle to the grave. Talk of each of a shell. Universal ghetto life, holla black, you know it well. What it is, you know, they know what it is. We know, y'all know what it is. Ecstatic, there it is. Huh, what it is, you know, we know what it is. They know, y'all know what it is. You know. Here it is, what it is, you know, we know what it is, they know, y'all know what it is, you know, here it is. Sitting come relax, riddle of the Mac, it's the patch. I'm a soldier in the middle of Iraq. Uh-huh. We'll say about noonish, coming out the whip and looking at me curious, a young Iraqi kid. Oh. Carrying laundry, what's wrong, G? Hungry? No, give me my oil, get out my country. And in Arabian, barking other stuff till his moms come grab him and they walk off in a rush. Distrust, feeling like I was pissed up on wound. I'm like, surely hope that we can fix our differences soon. Bye. Buying apples, hun breaking on. Brute, you take everything. Why not just take the damn foot like master? I don't understand it. On another planet? Uh-huh. 15 months of this stuff? How I'm gonna manage? And increasing this sentiment, gentlemen, getting down on their Middle Eastern instruments. instruments. 
Realize trapping this crowd uh-huh. Walk over kicked one of my fabulous raps Daddy, daddy. Arab jaw dropped they well wish they glad rap Now they kick considered like an Elvis of Baghdad <laughs> What it is, you know, they know what it is, we know, y'all know what it is, ecstatic, there it is, huh, what it is, you know, we know what it is, they know, y'all know what it is, you know, here it is, what it is, you know, we know what it is, they know, y'all know what it is, you know, here it is. Keep on fighting.